Oh, Caligula. Yes, what is it? Don't lean against that pillar. What? I say, don't lean against that pillar. Why? The workmen say it hasn't quite set up yet. Don't lean against what? That pillar you're standing next to. You mean this one? Yes, that one. I shall lean against it if I so wish. Caligula, no! Don't lean against it! The fall of the Roman Empire will not be presented at this time in order to bring you the following special podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. It's time for a Peculiar Podcast, hosted by Pat Cashman. Gorgeous to look at. And Lisa Foster. She's dangerous. Clean. You're on. Ready or not, it's Pat and Lisa. <laughs> Can you dig it? Yeah, yeah, I can dig it, yeah. It's love and time. Three, two, one. Okay, I know there are some people that think there is a cause and effect that when we talk about people that have just passed away, that that this podcast is somehow the cause of that. Yeah. It's like if we I, ever mention anybody, and then, you know, that's, that is, uh, they're almost certain to perish very Right, quickly. because you, you are, like, I'll text you once in a while, because you'll say, I just watched this really great old movie the other day, and it had... Blah, 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 blah on there. And then, bam, like a day later, blah, 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 croaks. It's like... Like, one of my favorite podcasts of recent weeks is uh, the one with uh, Alec Baldwin. And then, you know, they're yes. really good. And then, well, you know, he has a they have this big incident on the movie I set. I know. Yeah. Man, that's tragic. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you, why are you bringing this up? Has, has something I'm bringing come it up because I wanted to play this song right here. In a little cafe, just the other You like this song? He was sitting there giving me looks that make my mouth water. I do like that song, but you know what? I have no idea who sings that song. It's uh, It was a hit for Jay and the Americans, and uh, the lead singer, Jay Black, has uh, shuffled off. He was 82. Can you believe these rock and roll people are 82? Yeah. Like uh, the Rolling Stone people, all those guys, yeah. aren't they in their 90s or 100s by uh, now? Yeah, I think I think Mick Jagger is 106, <laughs> I think I read recently. <laughs> he, he's looked 106 for the past 40 years, so that but doesn't I, surprise I, I didn't me. know that much about this guy, Jay Black, the lead singer. And so I started listening to some of their stuff on YouTube and elsewhere. And this song, Cara Mia, you got to listen to you got to hear this. He mm-hmm. start. This guy had an unbelievable voice. I, I, it's startling. It starts sort of operatically here, and then it then it kicks into more of a pop song. But listen to this guy's pipes. amazing mm-hmm. and uh, somewhere along the way Frank Sinatra among others told him hey look uh, man uh, 
I heard that song, Cara Mia, that you do. That mm-hmm. was the name of that song we just played. Mm-hmm. And Sinatra said, you better lower your key, man, or you're going to blow your voice out. And sure enough, Jay Black did at some point later in his life. He said, I can't hit the notes anymore. Yeah. Part of, part of that may just be a natural result of, of aging, but yeah, yeah he, he just pushed it out as far as he could, and it's amazing. Reminds me a little bit of Roy Orbison, that range of his, that kind of high tenor voice, but yeah. Pretty impressive. So, the, yeah. hold on a second here. So, did you? So, this Jay guy, what's yeah. his name? <laughs> Jay Black. Jay Black. So, you did you talk about him like recently, and now he's dead? Is that what you're getting at here? No, I didn't. Okay, uh, and so I think that's my point. I think people are jumping to conclusions uh, and unfairly sullying this excellent podcast. I see what you're saying with uh, <clears throat> false accusations. Got it. And okay. innuendo. Yeah. So, yeah, so what you're saying is, well, you haven't played any Jay and the Americans songs ever on our podcast. I don't, I don't think, think you so. have ever. No. So you are not responsible is what you're saying. No, not for that one. Okay. <laughs> However, I, uh, I recently finished a book on comedians <laughs> oh, no. of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And uh, Oh, I know enjoyed, who you're going to say. I particularly enjoyed the chapter on Mort Saul. Oh, yeah. Such a classic comedian well he's, he was unlike anybody else uh his, his thing he would always say are there any groups i haven't offended america was a lot different then the only thing that's been consistent and has continued has been richard nixon uh <laughs> and he certainly is persistent anyway uh eventually if you lose often enough you can win and uh, that's the message tonight at any rate uh a lot of the younger people in the audience have stopped me on the street and they've said we're certainly behind him but who is he um, that kind of that kind of rationalization is, um, I suppose you could draw a very graphic analogy. When a man is elected and you say you've got to like him, that's the same as uh, discovering you're pregnant and trying to fall in love as rapidly as you can. He was said to be a very likable, genial guy who makes ex-friends easily. Because it's almost as if <laughs> once you got to know him, he he did there suddenly he wouldn't like you anymore and so oh, when he, he wouldn't like you or you wouldn't like him anymore he wouldn't like you and and okay. sometimes people will scratch their heads and, and say well, what did i say to him what did i do mm-hmm. and he just you know he just That's so uh, interesting he, he, yeah what a, so what was, a quirky little what a quirky thing it is kind of quirky and it was part of his thing and arguably it was because he didn't want to uh, give any solace to liberals or conservatives he was an Equal opportunity offender, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, and, and but it was very, uh, very witty, and and a, probably the closest thing to an actual intellectual that we've ever had uh, standing as a stand-up comedian, except for George uh, Carlin. George Carlin. But Carlin uh, wasn't as political as Saul became. Carlin Saul was, was pretty much entirely political. Carlin, well, Carlin got very political in his later years. And he's, some of his best stuff uh, talks about pol- politics and conservatives. And now, there's one thing you might have noticed I don't complain about. Politicians. Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Yeah. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities, and they're elected by American citizens. This is the best we can do, folks. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely. I don't remember that. He he was more of a wordsmith and talked about life in general, but... Uh, Mort Saul got pretty specific as he progressed about only talking politics. And he'd walk out onto the stage with the newspaper under his ah, his arm. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he'd, he'd offend conservatives, and then he would turn right around and say, liberals are people who do the right things for the wrong reasons so they can feel good for 10 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's very funny. Because before Saul came along, Popular com- comedy was Milton Berle and Bob Hope and Hanny Youngman, and and they, it was like joke books. We right. tell jokes like we do at the end of this podcast. Right. His his weren't like set up, deliver, and punchline jokes. Mm-hmm. They were observational. Yeah. He'd say, for example, "I am for capital punishment. You've got to execute people. How else are they going to learn?" <laughs> 
which reminds me of when I was when I was a kid. Uh, my mom said, "Oh, I see in the paper here, this little boy got he was on his bicycle and he got hit and killed by a uh, by a driver." And I said, "Well, I bet that taught him a lesson, mom." <laughs> Very good. And I'm like I'm like seven years old. Very clever. She, she well, probably just rolled her clever. eyes. She probably just rolled her eyes at you. Yeah, like well, I would. Well, yeah. I really gave birth yeah. to an idiot here. <laughs> but a, a very good friend of Morris Saul in his later later years was my our, my friend and the very first host of uh, the TV show I worked on called Almost Live, Ross Schaefer. Mm. See, that's how you want to understand women, guys. Yeah, you have to read those magazines. Because then you'll understand why women are so great at relationships. Every month they're forced to take all these pop quizzes in there. <laughs> Am I happy? Is he happy? Does my life suck? I think it does. <laughs> That's why we're behind, guys. We don't have quizzes in our magazines, do we? we, we a lot of times we don't even have words. <laughs> so I asked Ross if he would talk about Mort Saul a bit since he, since he knew him pretty well. And... Um, Wow. And so here's a bit of Ross talking about Mort Saul. I was introduced to Mort Saul by George Miller. George was a huge fan and always acted like a little kid whenever he was around Mort because he didn't think his jokes measured up to Mort's very intellectual and political uh, bent uh, with humor. And for some reason, Mort and I struck up a very close friendship. He called me, uh, how you doing, my boy? And everywhere we went, um, he was recognized by lots and lots of people, a variety of people. His very good friend, everybody knew, was Hugh Hefner. His other very good friend was Fred Dreyer, uh, this super strong six foot six inch uh, football player and uh, actor. But when I'd be with him uh, at a cafe somewhere in Brentwood, People would stop by the table almost in a cavalcade. Bruce Jenner, now Caitlin, uh, actors that everybody knows, famous actors from the old days. Young people knew who Mort was. He was extremely genial. He was very outgoing and a pleasure and a big smile. And and then, yes, he, was, he made ex-friends very easily. For some reason, he could turn on a dime and walk away from a friendship that had been nothing but trying, done nothing but try to help Mort. Mort went broke around uh, 80 years old. He had really no attachment to money. He loved some things. Back in the day, he had a, a 427 Ford Cobra and he had a nice watch collection. Uh, he dated beautiful women. One of my favorite Mort Saul jokes is that when he moved from Chicago to Los Angeles, he dated models, actresses, and other female impersonators. He had a, a brilliant, brilliant wit, and I never saw him write down a joke. He formed it in his head, he thought about it later, and he performed it within minutes of the time. And it was the, the cadence, the timing, the punchlines were all in the right place. He just had that affinity. People have been walking up and testifying at Watergate and say, what did you do? And he said, I was a secret agent for 19 years. And people would give me money in an envelope. I'd meet him in an alley. What was the code name of your contact? He called me Jeb, and I called him Mr. President. There was a lot of that. He, said, Go ahead. All right. he also worked tirelessly. He was one of the first guys who I ever saw have a seven-foot dish in his backyard so that he could tune in the BBC. This was in this was in late 80s and 90s. He wanted to hear broadcasts from all over the world. He wanted to learn about politics from all over the world. He could make fun of both sides equally. He wanted to make mutual enemies, as he as he liked to describe himself. And then here's Ross uh, again talking about a fundraiser that he put together for Mort, Mort Saul, I don't know, probably better than 10 years ago. This is pretty amazing. Ah, one, one comment about <laughs> Mort's uh, problem with money, because he didn't care for it, didn't think about it. He just assumed he had enough, and he got a actor's pension of about $4,000 a month. When Mort was really about to lose his home in Beverly Hills, and by, by the way, it's not a mansion. It was a, a rambler, I'm gonna guess 1,500 square feet, had a swimming pool, very conveniently located everything around Beverly Hills. His wife at the time, Kensley, uh, found an old watch in his drawer, ragged band, but it was a Patek Philippe watch from the 60s. And 
she had it assessed and Sotheby's auction said, we want that watch and we're going to put it in our catalog. Now imagine, Moore doesn't have any money, but they put it in the catalog and it auctions for $675,000. And then that, of course, got him through another few years, but then he was broke again. And by 2007, I asked him, would it be okay if I just reached out to some of our comedian friends and see if we could raise some money? And he said, well, I don't know if I like that idea. I don't want him to know that. I said, but, but Mort, you don't have a, there's no out clause here for you. You don't have a rescue net. No, okay, okay. So I started an email campaign amongst comedians. And there were about a thousand comedians at that time who sent in money. And it could be $5, $10. Um, Steve Martin gave $10,000. George Carlin gave $10,000. Jerry Seinfeld, $5,000. Uh, it went, went like that so that it also spurred interest in creating this comedy fundraising event at a theater in Brentwood. And it was star-studded. People came out of the woods to help Mort. George Carlin, Albert Brooks, uh, Shelley Berman, Jack Riley from The New Heart Show, Chuck McCann. There were 10 or 12 that made it on the stage that night. Um, Richard Lewis and uh, uh, Drew Carey, Kevin Nealon. And then we had some videos sent in. And the most interesting video for me was his friend Woody Allen. Woody couldn't come to L.A. because he was doing a movie, but he sent a video that played. And Woody tells this story. He always admired Mort. He said, when I watched Mort Saul, I realized how comedy was supposed to be done, and it, and it really changed my life. So then Mort tells the story about going to New York and wanting to see Woody. And this is when Woody was having a lot of trouble with Mia Farrow. Mort finds the little the nightclub where he plays um, his jazz music every night, and, and he sees the bouncer and wants to go back and see Woody. And he says, oh, I'm standing here. I'm not supposed to let anybody get to, get to Woody Allen. And he goes, well, well tell, tell him it's the guy who changed his life. So the bouncer goes back a minute later. Here comes Woody saying, oh, my God, Mort, I haven't seen you in so long. He turns to the bouncer, this is the guy who literally changed my life. And Woody looks at Morton and goes, can you change it back? And yet, uh, after all of that, uh, Mort sort of thanked everybody, and then they never heard from him again. So he was a strange cat. Where sure. Was he from here, the Pacific Northwest, or was he Los Angeles no, or no. New York? No, he, yeah, he was from California. California, yeah. okay. And that's where he passed away again at the age of 94. Uh, if you are enjoying some of these Ross Schaefer comments, like I do, uh, I'll, I'll put some more of them at the back end of this podcast as kind of an extra after we're all done. That was nice of, of Ross to share some of those stories yeah. with us. Yeah, yeah. It's, cool. it's not hard cool. when somebody passes away and you've got to, you know, and you're reminiscing about that. It's That's a difficult thing to do. I guess there's some joy in that, you know, um, but still, it's just so recent that that that's that yeah. was kind of him too. That must have been difficult. Yeah. Well, so. it's just mm. it just reminds people like a lot of younger people never heard of him, and yet the comedians that they might love on stage all owe a debt to Mort Saul because he changed he changed everything. He, he yeah. revolutionized what the idea of stand up would be about, and it wasn't just going out and doing punchline jokes. Uh, and in his case, he was actually trying to make some some statements now why did how did now how did ross stay friends with him how come mort didn't end up hating him i don't i don't think he did oh but i think they didn't talk a lot um, oh, okay so that held true just again just shuffle him off yeah. to the side <laughs> so yeah funny. well yeah flavor of the month okay. i guess i don't know very- hey uh speaking of uh Things political. Yeah. As I told you a couple of podcasts ago, I was started watching this very old TV show that I vaguely remembered as a kid, and it only lasted one season, and it was called Casey Jones. Oh, yeah. Casey Jones, steaming and rolling. Casey Jones, you never have to guess. And Alan Hale Jr. played the part of Casey Jones, who apparently was a real-life person. Casey Jones was real the, life. So this Casey Jones is kind of an innocuous little black-and-white show of the, of the late 50s. But I was struck by this episode. Now think about this. This was this was 60 years ago, more than 60 years ago. Uh, in a, but they, they touch on a, a debate and an issue that is front and center today. Please, I, I appreciate your concern. But if we all keep our heads... Concern? By what right do you hold us aboard? No legal right. But you bet you haven't. I demand to know why we've been sidetracked. What are we waiting for? Medicine. 
for all of you to prevent your coming down with smallpox. It's called vaccine. Vaccine? You mean that cowpox stuff? That's right. It's... I know what it is. It's cow sickness. They put it into your blood. If it doesn't kill you, it gives you a cow's skin. Horns! That's not true. I assure you that vaccine from cows will not harm you. On the contrary, it's given us the only control of smallpox known. I'm not interested in your assurances. You're not putting any cow sickness into me. I'm leaving this train here and now. Wait, you, you can't. I can and I will. Come, Amanda. But you'll be spreading disease everywhere you go. Do you want that on your conscience? That's my affair. Not when it affects the public good. Dr. Morton is right. Now listen to me, all of you. The doctor says the vaccine is our only chance. I'll go along with that. I'm going to take it the minute it gets here, and so is my crew. If you've any sense, you'll do the same. Until then, I want you to return to your seats and sit and wait quietly. Come, Amanda. But, George, I think perhaps... I don't care what you think. We're leaving. That's final. Nobody leaves this train. Not yet. Who's to prevent it? Westville's the only town within walking distance. They'll shoot you on sight the minute they know you're from the cannonball. I'm not about to advertise the fact. You won't have to. They'll realize that this is the only place you could have come from. Now, you think it over. Please, Doc, the trail is pretty bad. You better come quick. And as these things generally do, it finally comes down to a confrontation. That will be quite enough. My God. Good girl, Amanda. Keep it here. I can't do that, George. It belongs to him. Well, have you lost your mind? No, I've just gained my senses. But he'll force us back at gunpoint. And that doctor will try to put the cow sickness into us. I know. And we'll let him. At least I will. No, I forbid it. Don't try that again, George. You wouldn't shoot me. Don't chance it. You see, George, up until now, I've put up with your bullying. Perhaps because I mistook it for strength. I've always admired strength in a man. And I've loved you for it. But today, for the first time, I've seen you as you really are. A selfish, abject coward. I'm not sure I wouldn't rather see you dead. You don't mean that, Amanda. Maybe I won't tomorrow. But today I do. I'm going back to the train, George. And I'm keeping the gun. But ma'am, I'm... I'm aware that my husband is physically powerful. And I doubt that you or anyone could force him back without it. But that's his decision to make, not yours or mine to make for him. And for the sake of our marriage, George, I sincerely trust you'll make the right one. So anyway, I just thought that was kind yeah. of eerily prescient of them to be talking. It just, But I think it also goes to show you that that this uh, suspicion of vaccines and, and cures and things mm-hmm. uh, goes of way, way back. Of course it does. It's, it's, it's nothing Yeah, new. of course it does. I was uh, looking at a book called You Bet Your Life uh, by a guy named Paul Offit. And You Bet Your Life's subtitle is From Blood Transfusions to Mass Vaccination, The Long and Risky History of Medical Innovation. And basically, he, he, he wants the reader to understand that these failures and tragedies sort of paved the way for medical innovation. In other words, we didn't take risks of on course. things like vaccines. Uh, he says, for most of human history, for example, anesthesia did not exist. So they would have to forcibly restrain people if they had to amputate their arm. Right. Or, you, things uh, like that. You bit down on a belt, belt leather strap. That's what you did. You had a swig yeah. of whiskey, and would then they... you just bit down on it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'd be followed uh, with the screaming and unbearable agony. Reminds me of this scene from a Jerry Lewis movie. No anesthetic. But we'd have to make an eight-inch incision in your abdomen and go in and repair your spleen. The pain would be unbearable. Sir, I'm a master of yoga, Zen, I Ching. Mahatma Gandhi's sense of levitation and self-control. I don't know. Sir, I can disassociate my mind from my body where I shan't feel anything, absolutely nothing whatsoever. Trust me. Very well, I'll do it. You may begin. Scalpel. Scalpel. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to note the time. This will be the first moment in modern history when a man has undergone such an operation without an anesthetic. forties when this carnival barker, according to this book, named Gardner Colton, was started charging people twenty five cents to sniff something called nitrous oxide yes. or laugh, laughing yes. gas. And it would make people fall down in hysterics and then they would go to sleep for a few minutes. And then a dentist named Horace Wells went to one of these shows and he said, Hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And he told the guy, Hey, why don't we try to extract the next tooth we do and let's use this stuff on the patient and uh and so he became the first person to use laughing gas as an anesthetic and uh and and he didn't try it on people unless he knew it would work is that your agent i'm getting is that your agent better grab it no it's it's my friend richard peterson hang on a second here hello this is this is pat cashman who's this Hi, Richard. Yeah, Richard. Richard, I'm doing a podcast right now. Yes. You know what that is? Yes. Why don't I call you after I'm done with the podcast? Yes, please call me. What time are you done? Uh, well, I don't know. Forty we'll minutes. You want to say hi to Lisa Foster? Do you remember her? Yes. Hi, Lisa Foster. Oh, hi, Richard. Okay, buddy. I'll call you later. Before. Gotta go. Okay. Bye, buddy. He's never. Did I ever tell you about he's Richard? Never he's never uh, said hi to me ever before. I know he he doesn't. Uh, I and, and am, We can't go into a whole long thing. That about made Richard, me. That made my day right there. You're in rarefied no company. No kidding. Andy, Andy, he remembered. You. I know. Well, there's a there's a, a friend of mine named D. W. Clark. He worked at Como TV for years and years and years. And Richard, and I know I can't go into the whole long story of Richard except to say that he's one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. He's very uh, much on the autistic uh, spectrum, and. Uh, and, but he has a facility for m- remembering things, and it, it's very complex. He's a self-taught musician, and he's recorded albums, and um, uh, and so he's calling because he want he wants to see me because every time he meets one of his so-called personalities, it's a story in a building in his mind, mm-hmm. and so he's he I've seen him 550 times I think and I could task him Richard what was the 13th story the 13th time we met and he could come up with it right yeah. away it was October 14th 1998 you were wearing a blue tie standing yeah. in front of the Bon Marche yeah so he's ama- he's amazing that way yeah uh, but he calls all the time so anyway uh, back to what uh, I was talking about is that the, this anesthesia then slowly started to come along somebody tried something different called ether that worked pretty well then somebody else uh, found uh, another type of anesthesia that that worked even better but you think about it it all was risky we just don't live in a risk-free world i guess which means that you got to choose the lesser risk so for people that are still anti-vax maybe some of them think it's too risky we we never vetted this vaccine properly it, may, it should take more time i think a lot of people that will not get vaccines right now could be persuaded. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are unpersuadable, but I think a lot of anti-vaxxers just they're they're suspicious of it because the vaccine came along so quickly. It didn't though. Yeah. It didn't. Not really. This is, they were this working is on corona- this for years before exactly. we ever heard of coronavirus. Exactly. No. Well, no, we've before we ever heard of coronavirus. Coronavirus has been around for a long time. So. Oh yeah. This is just a COVID nineteen is a different strain of this. And they have, it, uh, and, and thanks to computer science now, they can fast track these tests in a way that you couldn't do it, like if you're trying to find a cure for polio back in the 1950s, for example. Right. So it was, it, it, it can be done much more quickly, and that's one of the great benefits of, of uh, computers and computer imaging and all of that. So I just thought that Casey Jones thing was kind of, kind of a little bit eerie in a way, but I loved it. So I wanted, I, I, I wanted to just talk about Richard Peterson. First of all, I'm delighted that he remembers me 
me. But th- this ability to recall dates and specific th- times is yeah. extremely rare. And it reminds me of a story I heard about Mary Lou Henner, who is the actress who probably most well known for her role in Taxi. And she has, and I just looked this up because I wanted to see what it was actually called. She has what's called a highly superior autobiographical memory, which is a rare condition identified in only a hundred people worldwide. And so if you you give her a random date, every day and everything that happened, give her a random date, like take April 30th, 1980. Bam. She goes, it was a Wednesday. I was in Cancun, Mexico with my boyfriend at the time who was soon to be my first husband. She just, that is just astonishing to me. Yeah. It's even more granular than that. I mean, she can remember what happened at three o'clock and what she had for lunch that day. So she's she's advocating for much more funding for brain research for this sort of thing. I I think that stuff is just fascinating. Really fascinating. So I watched this I watched a sports uh, magazine feature the other day, and they had a 10-year-old kid on there uh, who is uh, has, has an enormous capacity to be really great at chess. Mm-hmm. Neither of his parents know how to play. His, nobody can explain it. Mm-hmm. And he's he's beating grandmasters now, and he's only 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And he claims he can see every he can see a chess board 40 moves ahead. Right. I mean, so there that is just... so much about the human brain that we just don't know, and Man, I just think that might be one of the most fascinating areas of scientific study that there is. Pretty, I know. Pretty amazing. It just it makes. I wish I had a superpower like that. I can't do anything. <laughs> well, you have superpowers. I don't have any superpowers. I have zero. Have you ever had a dream? Everybody has, but I I dreamed that I could float. No, I've never had a flying dream ever. I. I I, I, well, I had flying dreams when I was a kid, but I, I believe that I could not necessarily fly, but I could hover above the ground. And I woke up believing I could do it <laughs> and and tried it, and it doesn't work. It, it didn't work. Yeah. Oh, Pat. I don't know what you'd use that superpower for. Maybe I maybe mean, if the ground is too hot and you have bare feet and you've lost your shoes, that would be handy. But Yeah, or you could see behind things or something. I don't know. but I don't know. Yeah, I, and sometimes I think you know it might the dream world might be better than the real world. Oh uh, yeah, given the nightmares and all of that. But otherwise, you can do amazing things in your dreams. Mm-hmm. And I and I tell you, and I hate to admit this, mm-hmm. but dreaming is something like smoking weed. <laughs> you, you, you see things and imagine things yeah. that you don't when you're in your waking life. Yeah. How much? I, how many uh, marijuana uh, cigarettes uh, you have in there a night there, Pat? Well, I had an edible the other night. Yeah. And, and it was funny because then, this sounds really weird, but I go to the, to the bathroom and, and there were two large... Spiders. Richard leaving another message. There were two large Tur- toilet paper, oh. <laughs> un, unopened toilet paper things, and then a smaller one. And so I made two eyes and a nose as they sat on top of the toilet. And then I used the lid as the mouth. And it looked pretty cool. And you laughed and laughed all by yourself. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, I'm thinking, man, how did I think man, of that? Yeah, that's pretty man. funny, man. So- I don't think it's something I would have occurred to me. Uh, stone cold sober. Right. So I just let him. I think that's weird. playful, and I think we're more um, apt to be uh, playful and open about things. Which I'm so glad you brought this up because I am thinking about taking some psychedelics, man, and I just didn't know. Like some mushrooms. Yes, some magic mushrooms. So I have a friend who shall remain nameless, who has a friend. Which now this is already sounding sketchy, but. <laughs> Yeah, very, this very. friend has a friend who picks the the this called silo silo psilocybin mushrooms silo psilocybin psilocybin. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But anyway, she which are legal now yeah, down here. Yeah, they're not in Oregon, they're not legal in in every state. I don't even know if they're legal here, but <laughs> but this whole psychedelic movement's catching on um, in terms of of it being a very therapeutic, and they actually have. Um, what they call trip sitters, people who stay with you in case your trip goes bad, man. You don't want your trip to go bad. And so I, I'm afraid to take them by myself. So I'm I'm, I'm going to find somebody to trip sit That's me. That's probably a good idea. My my fear, uh, I, this this happened years ago, but my, my wife and I uh, were sharing a bottle of wine and I hadn't eaten all day. And so I'm getting pretty loopy. Mm-hmm. 
and the phone rings and I pick it up and they and I said hello and he, she said Pat this is uh, Gloria Jenkins down here at the at the uh, local library uh, you were you you had told us that you were, would come down here this early evening and oh. read to children here oh my in the God. library. <laughs> I get, uh, oh, that's and I go, oh, that's oh, right, man. that's right. Oh. And so, so I said, okay, uh, I'll oh, get you there told as soon her you'd do can. it. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, I grab a pot of coffee and I'm guzzling that down. So I go down there and I read this kid's story to these little kids and I don't know what they thought of that but I but I got through it but one little girl came up to me at the end and she said <clears throat> this I'm trying to imitate what she did <clears throat> she goes can you, could you could you say Bill I said what could, could, could you say uh Bill could I say what uh Bill and then I finally realized Oh, she wants me to do the announcer voice from Bill Nye the Science Aww, Guy show. Oh, that's so, so sweet. So I just went, I went, oh, uh, Bill. And it just made her so Aww. happy. Thank you. Thank you. And she Aww. laughed. Oh, that's adorable. And then, I, and then I left the library and I passed out and fell into some bushes. <laughs> You're such a role model for our youth. <laughs> but my point, my point is that I'm always fearful of that because what if you suddenly have to go to the hospital or you needed to be somewhere and and you're not in any condition to do it? That's well, what worries me. The so thing... I think your idea of having somebody as sort of a spot. Yeah, this is a real. Is a it's a real idea. job. I was reading an article in the Rolling Stone magazine about um, sitters and trip sitters, and um, they even have a hotline if you for, like this one guy. Because mushrooms last for hours, you gotta like block the whole day off to do to do mushrooms. Mm. It's not like you you can take them and then you're fine in an hour. These things take three, four, five hours. So this one guy apparently had was doing mushrooms, and then all of a sudden his friends just bailed out on <laughs> bailed out on him, and he was by himself, and he's like, and he couldn't like stop his patterns, and you know the floor was swirling, and so he called this helpline it's called the psychedelic peer support line uh sponsored by a, a company called the fireside project and it's uh it just launched i think last year or maybe a couple or this year actually and so but i still don't feel like somebody on the other end of the phone would be safe enough i'd want somebody sitting there yeah oh yeah yeah you gotta, just, you gotta be there you know but then i'd worry um am i doing weird am i doing weird shit you know, yeah. and then when but, you wake, and then they go home, and you wake up the next day, and your silverware yeah. is missing, and uh, <laughs> several, several, one of your dogs is missing. But know. I had a good trip, man. You, it was yeah, a good trip. It was a really good trip. But, anyway. but anyway, I'm, I'm seriously considering that. So okay, well, I just wanted know, to let you let know. Let me know how it turns out for you. I will let you know. Yeah, I am a, a very averse to, and it was actually terrified, even to this day, of anything like lsd or you know the, well, the idea they're that, saying yeah, yeah go ahead yeah yeah well they're saying now yeah but they're i always saying. thought I, I mostly paid attention to the idea that you'd have a flashback and uh and not a good one so what is a flashback what does that uh, mean it's I don't like know years what later after you've taken the product yeah you 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 wig out or something oh. i suppose they're different <laughs> well, for different people well i, I wig norm I... norm mcdonald the comic talked about when i was a boy Young, I'd do anything, you know? LSD, I was about the strongest drug I ever did. Acid, I don't know if you ever done acid, but... I remember when I was young and they'd tell me, they go, you gotta be careful with that acid on account of you can do it, and then you have a flashback, like 10 years could pass, 20 years could pass, and then uh, you get a flashback. So I thought, well, that sounds like a good deal, you know? And, <laughs> I went to my drug dealer, Frank. I said, Frank, is there a drug on the market where I pay you five dollars? I take the drug, I get high, and then 20 years later I get high again? And he said, yes. And I think of myself as somebody who is good at stretching his drug dollar. But the point of the whole thing is for me to tell you young folk that it's not, it's not true at all. You know, because I have not done LSD since I was a teenager. 10 years have passed, 20 years have passed. Sadly, 30 years have passed. 
and still no flat. What a jip that turned out to be. I, just more horse shit by the big acid companies, if you ask me. And I don't want to, I don't want to get too political, but if you think big acid cares about you, the little guy. They care about their third quarter profits. That's what they care about. Hey, I'll tell you what chaps my hide right now. What? Um, there's a, a commercial, TV commercial for an outfit called Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, I've heard and of it. I and I hope you can hear this audio, but here's, here's the way it begins. Our house seemed like a dream come true. Great character, great neighborhood. Until Mrs. Cashman started feeding the neighborhood cats. All the cats. We need to move right now. So of all the names they could have chosen, it's Mrs. Cashman, who's the neighborhood weirdo that is collecting cats. I mean, what, what, where did they pull the name Cashman out? Except wait, that they must know something. Wait, why are you mad about it? Shouldn't Patty be mad about it? Well, yeah, I think I think we're all mad about it. But I mean, or she, she kind of adopted my last name. I, that's I, very, that's true. That's very well, true, but gonna, she is gonna, Mrs. Cashman, so. Yeah, but why did they have to make Mrs. Cashman the neighborhood nut? I don't know. Such a such a nut that these people decided to move, and, and they've called up Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> kind of hurts my feelings, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I think that's very funny. I don't think I've had any uh, any commercials that use Miss, Mrs. Foster or Miss Foster, or I don't know. But they're... Well, they, it certainly is possible, but then that's a more conventional name. There is. I mean, you. There is. I think an, you got to do some research to come up with Cashman. Yeah, I think it's you're right. I agree. That's not that common. I, there is an incontinence commercial that talks about Lisa, so that doesn't make me very happy. <laughs> so Lisa is more active now that she's strapped on a pair of pens or whatever. I don't even know what the incontinent commercial is. Let about. me ask you this: If someone called you up and said, "Hi, uh, Miss Foster. My name is Marvin Swenson. I'm from the." Uh, uh, so-and-so ad agency. Uh-oh. I can't wait to Somebody hear this question. I can't, I can't answer. Oh, this is another guy I'll call back later. But it lets me get back to that Richard story. So, so this guy that's calling me now was a former employee at Como TV. And so he saw Richard all the time, but Richard didn't choose to include him in his recognized personalities. Right. And so when this guy retires from Como, he'd worked there for 17 years. He's retiring. He's got his box full of stuff, and he's walking out of the building. And there's Richard in the lobby. And, and this guy says, hey, uh, Richard, uh, I'm retiring today. Are you going to miss me? And Richard says, quote, not really. <laughs> And he, was, and he wasn't funny. trying to be rude. He wasn't trying to be no, rude. No, that's, that's an honest. He's just being honest. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not going to miss you because I don't know you. I don't even you. know you. I don't recognize you. Yeah. That's very funny. Yeah, you, I don't, you don't, okay. So, All right, so somebody calls me up and says, this is Marvin Jenkins, okay, yeah. Swenson. Okay, and yes. Okay. And, here, and we would love for you. We've seen your picture. We've heard your voice. We are doing a national television campaign for incontinence and a product. <laughs> Uh, called, uh, you know, Depend or Serenity or something like that. And we would love for you to be the spokesperson and the on-camera model for the product. And we're going to pay you $100,000, uh, and then you'll get residuals as long as we run the commercial. Would you take the gig? Where do I sign? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I why would you even? You might. Why would you even ask me that? Of course, I would but do it. The whole country is going to see you, including in all of underpants. your friends, your relatives. Yes, in underpants. <laughs> yes. You know what? For a hundred grand, I wouldn't even wear the underpants. They can just see me that way too. And residuals? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Where do I sign? All right. All right. I just wanted to make sure I. Understood. You, you do understand me. Way. Now, I do have, you know, boundaries and morals and, and ethics that I won't cross, but that sort of stuff, no, I don't care. I'm in. I'm, that's, okay. I'm in. Well, but if it, I, I kind of hoped, I hoped that you would uh, <laughs> have that attitude. But. but yeah, if it's, if it's something to do with hate or, you know, 
ridiculousness that I don't, I mean, I, there's, I, the, no, I'm going to, no, I don't care how much. It, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should even say that. There, I think we have a price One of those terms, for everything. Oh, oh yeah, everybody, everybody does. What's that joke about uh, the guy says, hey, would you, uh, would you have sex with me for, for $10? No, I wouldn't do it for $10. <laughs> uh, how about 20 What kind of woman do you think I am? Oh, I think we know what kind of woman you are. We're just haggling over the price. <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of woman I am. That's exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> That's uh, very you funny. know what? It's time for our closing joke, and then I'm going to play some of more right. of uh, Ross Schaefer's uh, remarks about Mort Soul. All righty. Here we go. I, and I might have told this one before, and I'm not really happy with it, but... Well, that way to set it... Good, that's not a very good exactly. setup. Exactly. Way it? to just... Yeah. Now we're all bummed out, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a. I'll just be honest with everybody. This is a mediocre joke. Okay. Uh, but it, well, w- but I'll try to tell it in a way that if it creates even one little hint of a smile, then I've succeeded. All right. Well, we'll be the judge right. of that. It starts out funny. <laughs> That's not how jokes are supposed to go. <laughs> this no, this one starts out hilarious. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here we go. Two priests are killed in an automobile accident. Well, that's hilarious. Upon arriving at the pearly gates, they're informed that the computer is down in heaven and they're going to have to go back to earth for a week. So St. Peter says, Fellas, you can go back as anything you'd like. And because the computer is down, nothing is going to count against you. So the first priest says to St. Peter, Well, you know, I've always dreamed of being an eagle soaring over the Rocky Mountains. St. Peter says, then go, you're an eagle. The second priest first confirms the fact that whatever he does is not going to go into his record. And Peter says, nope, it's not going in your record. He said, okay, then what I've always wanted to be is a stud. (laughs) Go, you're a stud. A week passes and the Archangel Gabriel comes to St. Peter to say, hey, we got the computer back up now, Pete. Uh, it's time for those two priests to come back here. Okay, well, the first guy's going to be easy to find because he's flying over the Rockies near the Colorado-Wyoming border. <laughs> but the other guy's going to be harder to find because he is somewhere stuck inside a snow tire in Minnesota. <laughs> okay, that you haven't told that one before. That was good. It was okay? Yeah. Oh, good. Except All I right. thought you were going to go with he's stuck somewhere inside of a, a new construction, ha- a new house construction. You know what I mean? Like, a, it, But is that funny? Like is that as funny as being stuck in a No, car? you're right. See? So that's why I laughed, because the ears was better than where I thought you were taking me. <laughs> <laughs> um, a writer called... Mort Rebel Without a Pause. I think that was the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle that wrote that about him because uh, Mort in his early days didn't expect to get laughs. He was he was a college campus favorite and he didn't expect to get laughs, so he just talked. He did not he did not pause <laughs> to wait for laughs. Remarkable remarkable guy. I went with him a couple times to the Playboy Mansion on uh, movie nights because he and Hef were long, long time friends. In fact, in Playboy magazine, Mort Saul was the very first interview in, in Hughes' uh, magazine, Playboy. Another thing most people don't know, that Mort was the best man for Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward's wedding. And they had a lifelong friendship and a lifelong uh, affinity for each other because uh, Paul and Joanne had lost their son, a young son, to drugs, as did Mort. Mort Saul Jr. became... Um, addicted to heroin and Mort knew Ronald and Nancy Reagan and she had her giant campaign just say no so he went to her to find a way to get his son into rehab and she was not very helpful finally she came through with a a center that uh, that helped Mort Jr. to the point where he was going to graduate and the day that he graduated this center gave him gave Mort Jr. this this packet of the the fake heroin that they used to to wean people off and Mort Jr. took it all the day he was checked out of the rehab center and died it destroyed Mort and he was never the same after that and and who would be so he had a lot of fans and a lot of friends but for some reason, he could turn on you 
pretty quickly. Uh, Bob Whitey, who was the producer of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, produced the American Masters program, which is a 90-minute documentary about Mort Saul. They became best friends. And then for some reason, Bob not doing anything he can remember, Mort wouldn't return his phone calls. And then Mort would tell me what a bad guy Bob Whitey was. I said, well, what was it about him? He goes, ah, you can't trust him. I never saw any evidence any of that kind of thing. I'll, I'll tell you another story about his friends. Mort was very close to John F. Kennedy, wrote uh, jokes for JFK and JFK's inauguration. And he got to him through Frank Sinatra. Mort was the first comedy artist to ever have a comedy album. And that was thanks to Frank Sinatra's reprise label. So I am with Mort and we're having lunch at the top of the hill, uh, top of Beverly Hills, there's a little cafe up there that he likes to frequent. Get back to Mort's house. I'm getting my jacket. And while I'm getting my jacket, he says, hey, listen to this, my boy. And on the answering machine is George H.W. Bush leaving Mort a message. And it's about his son's campaign to become president. And the message from George, I'm going to do a terrible George Bush impression, is this. Mort, George Bush, I need your help. Junior has no sense of humor. And I thought that they've got each other's home numbers. Mort was a character. He was an original. And I think that's probably what people admired most about Mort in the era of Lenny Bruce, is that Mort didn't copy anybody. Mort was never vulgar. Mort was never in trouble with the law, even though he, had, he was very sharp-tongued about the political parties and the people in them. And maybe that's a window into why it was so easy for him to dismiss friendships. Because he knew he needed independence of opinion. And he couldn't be swayed by a friendship with Kennedy or with George Bush to make sure that he was true to his art. Listening to Peculiar Podcast. Hey, goodbyes. <laughs> Join Pat and Lisa online at peculiarpodcast.com. The gift that keeps on giving the whole year. And on the Peculiar Podcast Facebook fan page. Sweet. On Twitter at Peculiar Podcast, at Mr. Pat Cashman, and at Foster Chick. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. Oh.